into the lesson. So here we are in Hebrews chapter 6. And I thought Dave was just trying to match my sermon. I thought he said it was just on his mind, but it works out beautifully, all the songs uh, that he had picked out in, in talking about the anchor for our soul. In the last paragraph of Hebrews 6, you might remember that the writer of Hebrews there spoke rather sharply about the condition of these Christians. He has told them, look, uh, the reason why I cannot speak to you about these important matters is because you are dull of hearing. You are lazy listeners. By this time, you ought to be teachers. But rather than being teachers, you need to be taught again the first principles. And so he encourages them to move out of the basics, to grow in their depth, to grow in their knowledge, to grow spiritually before God. And then he gave a warning from verse four to verse 12 and say, if you don't grow, that's the condition by which you can fall away and not be renewed to repentance. And so he gave, gives them a very strong warning about the need to grow and the effects of what will happen if they do not grow. But remember, he ended by saying, we have hope of better things for you. We have a greater expectation for you that you will grow and that, we, that verse 11, that we desire to have the same earnestness that you will press on and grow as, as we desire. And now he's going to build upon that hope in verses 13 through 20. And he's going to describe for them why they should press on and what the hope is that they have that is set before them. So verse 13 When God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Let's look at this moment where the writer of Hebrews takes a step back and says, What I want to do to illustrate this hope that you have is I want you to look at Abraham. And what he does is he looks at the time frame of Abraham when he is about to offer up his son Isaac. If you remember that you have then God saying, take your one and only son to Mount Moriah and they're going to offer him as a sacrifice there. And as Abraham is about to slay his son, an angel stops him from doing that. Abraham, Abraham, now I know that you are going to be obedient to me completely. And I want you to notice what is described there in Genesis 22 and verse 15 after that event. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And so notice the writer of Hebrews is referencing this event. And what he is doing is saying, I want you to notice what God did after he, that Abraham passed that test. Not only did Abraham, was Abraham told, I will bless you and I'll surely multiply you. You will notice that it says there, by myself I have sworn. 
And this is where the writer is putting his finger when he says here that back in Hebrews 6 verse 13, that when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. He takes an oath by himself because who can God take an oath by that's greater than him? Nobody. <laughs> that's what you do. Is you know, Okay, somebody higher than me. And God goes, it's nobody higher than me. So I will take the oath by myself then about this event that is surely going to happen. But in particular, I want you to notice that I think the key that the writer wants us to first notice before he gets to this idea of the oath is found in verse 15. Where it says there, And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. If you remember, one of the key points that the writer of Hebrews has been making throughout this book is that we have Christians who are going through difficulties. They are going through suffering. They are dealing with ostracization. They are dealing with those who are rebuking them, who are causing them pain, who are verbally abusing them and reviling them because they are Christians. We get out to chapter 10, he'll talk about some of you even being thrown in prison. And what the idea the writer is always communicating throughout this book is to give them hope and encouragement to remain faithful. And the first thing that the writer does in this paragraph is he says, I want you to look at Abraham. And I want you to recognize that he had to wait patiently to obtain the promise. The promise was not made... And then the next day he obtained the promise. When we look at the life of Abraham, he had to wait patiently a rather long time. And if you even think about the life of Abraham, even he had difficulty waiting patiently, didn't he? As the promise is given to him, he first looks around and says, I don't have a child. Surely it's going to come through my servant. And then finally, Sarah and Abraham say, we're going to have to take matters into our own hands. We're going to use Sarah's handmaid, Hagar. And that way the promises can be fulfilled. And in all of these instances, God says, no, that's not going to be the way the promises are going to be fulfilled. And Abraham had to wait patiently. You have Abraham at 100 years old and Sarah at 90 years old before Isaac is even born. We have such a tremendous struggle with patiently waiting. (laughs) Especially, I think, in our culture, in our society today, we are not accustomed to waiting patiently. We are very much about instant satisfaction. Amazon is trying to figure out how to drone drop your packages on the very day that you order it because two-day shipping is not fast enough. We want immediate satisfaction. Using your oven is not fast enough. We need a microwave. Our phones are not fast enough. We need to spend another $1,000 to go three milliseconds faster because it is not fast enough. That is the way our society is right now is that we have to have it now. The idea of waiting and the idea of patiently waiting, no way. I mean, if I have to be in a line of more than one, something's gone wrong. We need to open up more tellers and checkers because we are not going to wait. 
I want us to just get a sense of that problem that inherently built within us, especially with the culture that's around us. We have such a difficulty with the idea of having to wait for promises. And the writer of Hebrews who is speaking to Christians who are suffering, who are losing property, who are being in prison, who are going through difficulties, and he's saying, I want you to understand you'd have to wait patiently for the promises. This is a very big idea. I submit to you it's one of the reasons why we are tempted to fall away, why we lose faith in God why we decide to sin rather than continue on with God is because we don't want to wait patiently. We want it right now. And if God cannot fulfill all the promises that I'm waiting for right now, then I'm not going to wait. And that's often why we sin, right? We want the satisfaction now. We want the desire now. We want the comfort now. We want the pleasure now. And so we want it now. We're not going to wait. And I want you to see what God is saying right here. Those who are of His, those who are of faith, have to wait patiently. And this is what Abraham does. Abraham waits patiently for the promises to be fulfilled. And exactly then those promises are fulfilled to him. Now, I want us to notice this fits in what he's doing with verse 16 as well as verse 13. What did God do to help Abraham wait patiently? (laughs) And that's what's happening then in verse 16. For people swear by something greater than themselves and all of their disputes. An oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of promise the unchangeable character of His purpose, He guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things for which it is possible, impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Notice he says, let's remind everybody why anybody takes an oath. The purpose of an oath is to have a final confirmation to end all disputes. You see that humans even still do that today. That you will swear by something to try to communicate to the person you are talking to that you have no reason for dispute, no reason for concern, is going to put an end to any concern whatsoever is the final confirmation. That's the very intention of the law court. When you will swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help you God. The whole point is without dispute, without any further concern, this is the truth of the matter. That's why oaths are taken. And that's what he's referencing here. But notice what it says about God, because I think what it says about God is absolutely fascinating and beautiful. Verse 17. So when God desired to show more convincingly, did you, did you catch that? What it says there is God wanted to convince you all the more about his promises. It isn't just simply that God said, Hey, I made a promise. You got to believe me. <laughs> he says, And desiring to be even more convincing 
to the heirs of promise. It's a beautiful idea that God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of promise the unchangeable character of His purpose. God wants us to know something. He does not change His purpose. He is going to do what He says. He will always do what He says. But then the writer of Hebrews says, God desired to show that even more convincingly than just simply believing that God always does what He says. And I think it's a beautiful thing that is given to us. He says there are two unchangeable things that are given to us so that we would have hope. The one is the most straightforward. God doesn't lie. If God says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. God could have just said, I told you, Abraham, from the very beginning. Let's go all the way back to chapter 12. You know, if you had a Bible back then with chapter breaks, you could have said, Abraham, back in chapter 12. And in chapter 15. And in chapter 17. I told you. Here's the promise. And I always keep my word and I cannot lie. But in, verse, in chapter 22, after the offering of Isaac, he then does what? He takes an oath. To prove all the more that by these two unchangeable things, one, when God says it, it always happens and he cannot lie. And then to confirm that, he took an oath on top of it. He will not lie. And he even took an oath to prove it all the more. What's he trying to prove? Look at verse 18. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. You get lost in this section. Why are we talking about Abraham? Why are we talking about Isaac? Who cares what God promised Abraham? What does that have to do with us? Everything is what the writer says. Because you can look at Abraham and go, God made a promise and he swore with an oath. And the purpose was to show he would absolutely do it and desired for you to be completely firm in that idea. And now he tells us in verse 18, because it is impossible for God to lie and because he took an oath, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. The same picture of what God gave to Abraham is what is given to us. That God has made a promise and he cannot lie. He's confirmed it with an oath that the things that he has promised will absolutely happen. His character is unchanging. So that all of the promises that God has ever said, you can put your hope in. In fact, verse middle of verse 18, that we would have strong encouragement to hold fast. The promises about what lies ahead, that we then would have absolute hope in that. But who are the ones who have this strong encouragement? Who are the ones who are going to have this hope? If you look at verse 18 again, it says, those who have fled for refuge in Him. Those who have come to Him for refuge. That is a really neat picture in the Old Testament Scriptures, in these pictures of God being described as a refuge. We could go to probably hundreds, it seems, of prophecies and psalms 
that describe God as a refuge of some kind. Like Psalm 18 begins, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. You see all those pictures? This is what God is supposed to be. Same thing in Psalm 62. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From Him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. The whole picture that's given to us is that God is to be that refuge. That we turn to Him and we run to Him as our rock, as our strength, as our fortress, as the one whom we depend upon. And the reason we are able to do that is because this promise and this oath about His promises have been made to us. We can run to Him and find Him to be the refuge. We can trust His words, trust His promises about what lies ahead so that we do not then choose to make decisions that stand against God or sin against God. The big picture is that in our difficulty... We're supposed to run to God for help. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. That when we suffer, God is the fortress we run to. When times are hard, that God is the rock that we run to. When things are just not right in our lives and we are under difficulty, suffering, pressure, God is the one that we run to. That is the picture that's given to us again and again. And notice this is the encouragement that the writer of Hebrews is saying. That it is we who run to the Lord who have the strong encouragement. And this is what he ultimately wants because you'll notice verse 19. We have this... As a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Having become a high priest forever. After the order of Melchizedek. Here is our hope. And he says it rests in the very presence of God. It is in the inner place behind the curtain. Here is the hope that you have. And he uses the picture of it being like an anchor. What's the purpose of an anchor? When you do any kind of boating, why do you need an anchor? It keeps you from going where you don't want to go. (laughs) The anchor keeps you right in that spot. That's the whole point of the anchor. That you can have the currents and you can have the waves and you're going to stay right there with the anchor. He says this is the whole point is that God has given Himself through Christ as a sure and steadfast anchor. You run to Him for your refuge and you find strong encouragement because God always does what He says and He's even bound those promises with an oath. Now, I think it's interesting that God says, You and I need anchors. (laughs) I think it is fascinating that God says, here's what I did for you. 
You need a sure and steadfast anchor for life. You are going to get beat up by life. You are going to have trials. You are going to have suffering. You are going to get thrown down in the dirt. Things are going to flip upside down. And you need an anchor through that. And you know, unfortunately what we do is we end up making anchors in a whole lot of false things. And that's ultimately where life difficulties end up. As we make our anchors out of things in this life, we make anchors out of money, we make anchors out of careers, we make anchors out of our home or out of friends or parents or children or relatives or any number of things. We like to make those things be our anchor. And they don't hold up. They never hold up. They always disappoint. They always change. They always fail. That's just the nature of the things or people. People let us down. And things are always shifting and changing. You can't help but think about that when you have like a hurricane like this, right? You can do all that you want to do and you are completely useless before what's about to happen. And you can put all of your hope in all of these things and it just doesn't matter. It's just not going to matter. And that's the whole point that God wants us to understand is there's only one thing in life that doesn't change and doesn't move. God. Everything else shifts. Everything else bends. Everything else will give way. And you put all your hope in money, guess what? One day it won't be there. You put your hope in your career, it may not be there. Put your hope in a person, they may not be there. You can't put your anchor in anything else but God. And God is saying, you do need an anchor. You need something to put your life hope on. You need a foundation. But so often we make that foundation something false. And we put all of our hopes and all of our dreams and all of our direction and all of our foundations and all these false things. 19. Verse 19. We have this. What's this? We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor. What's the sure and steadfast anchor? That God has promised He cannot lie and has made an oath. He does not change. He always keeps his word. He has made a promise. And that is the picture that is given. And it is even exemplified all the more through Jesus in verse 20. Where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I love that the writer of Hebrews gets it back to Melchizedek through all of this. He's been working on this idea. And this has been the big message of these past couple chapters. The theme that we've talked about that's even on the sign out front. That we have the priest that we need. And that's what's being uttered here in verse 20. Jesus is the high priest that we need so that we can have a sure and steadfast anchor. He's the whole reason why we can depend upon God and we can rely upon those promises and believe in everything that He said because just simply look at the cross and look at what God has done for you. How could we ever believe that God does not love us? 
or that God is not going to carry out his promise. This is the weight of Scripture in saying while we were sinners, while we were enemies, while we stood against God, Christ died for us. And now that we are His and we run to Him for refuge, are we to think He's not going to bring us into the promises? Of course He is. Because if He is willing to sacrifice His Son when we were enemies of Him, what will He do now that we've been reconciled to Him? That's the weight that He's giving here. You have a sure and steadfast anchor. You have a hope that does not, cannot, and will not disappoint. When we are disappointed in life, it's because we put our anchor in the wrong thing. We put all of our life anchor in all of the wrong things. God is an anchor that does not move. And He will be there steadfast through anything that comes along in this life. The writer of Hebrews has implied two actions then. Since Jesus is our high priest who is our forerunner, who has gone in through the curtain, giving us the sure and steadfast anchor for our soul, two actions for us. Number one, you have to patiently wait for the promise. Remember, he threw that in there back in verse 15. You can't just say because it didn't happen tomorrow that all the promises of God were fulfilled, that therefore God is not going to fulfill his promises. It was fun with my kids. My kids did not believe in the promises I was giving them over the past few years as uh, being teenagers. One of them was if that they would do well, they do right, they follow the rules, get your grades, all of those kinds of things. You know, I'll make sure that you have a car for college. That'll be my end of the deal. That's been questioned for years, that that was ever going to happen. Years and years and years. Y'all, you said the blessings of the family. You said it. And I just said, all right, you trust me. Paige goes to college next year, and lo and behold, she has a car. She didn't get it when she wanted it. And she didn't believe me for years that it was going to happen. But it did. We do that with God. Well, it's not here tomorrow, so what's going on up there? It's coming. God does not lie. He has made a promise. And He's made an oath to confirm the promise. About the unchangeable nature of His character. You can rely upon Him like you can't rely on anyone else. When he says it, it's going to happen. And you can absolutely believe it, but we have to patiently wait for those promises. Number two, you have to run to him for refuge. Notice that was what was implied in verse 18. We who have fled for refuge have the strong encouragement. Wait patiently for the promises and in the difficulties, run to the Lord. Trust in Him. He is your strength. He is your fortress. He is your rock. He is your hope. He is all that you need for this life. These are the two things He puts upon us. God says, I've held up my end of the deal. I sent my Son to show you 
that I keep my word and I keep my promises and that I love you. You now have a sure and steadfast anchor. Will you wait patiently? And will you run to him for refuge? That's what he has called for us to do. And we are calling for you to do this very day. I would hope that you would ask yourself. In your life difficulty, when you are in trials and when you are suffering. Where do you run to when times are difficult? Where does your hope hang when things are hard? Is our hope placed on something else? Is our life hope placed on someone else? And I just want us to realize that there is nothing and there is no person who can bear the weight of being a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul except your Lord and Savior. No one else can bear it and nothing else can do it. Come to Him today. Make Him your anchor. Follow Him with all of your heart. Turn away from this worldly life because we go into, you know why we go into sin? Because we don't want to wait for the promises. We want it here and now. We want the joy now, comfort now. We want all the stuff now. That's why we sin. Say no to that world of sin and wait patiently for the promises. If you haven't been immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, today's the day to do that. We encourage you to come. Won't you come while we stand and while we sing?